All right, welcome to podcast number 14. I changed a few things up. We've got some feedback, which is a bit incredible. It's kind of like being online stocked. But regardless, we've got some feedback, and people are asking for some more interviews and some more information just on jobs, like some of the jobs we do and some of the challenges we've faced with them. So the next few podcasts, we're going to try to cover some of those things off. So this one here, podcast 14, is going to be on a silo rope access job we've done. Now, we're not really a rope access company. I mean, we belong to Sprat. We have Sprat certified and IRATA certified people. We primarily go with Sprat, and that's just simply because paying for a dual cert when we don't need dual certification just doesn't seem fiscally responsible. So we just run Sprat because we're running primarily North America. We do get asked to do the odd weird rope access job, and this one being one of them. So we get called because we've done this a few times now. There's a product, in this case mostly grain, stuck inside of a silo. You get some condensation at times in there, and these things start to cement together. They also start to decompose. So you get some heat issues and some other stuff that we'll talk about. Now, we have the ability that we have an OH&S group with us as well so that we can go out and we can do hazard assessments and entry procedures and permits and deal with the confined space documentation that's required in this. So to start off with, our CRSPs, they go to site. They do the assessment. She takes a look at this. Um, when we've done this job, we've gotten as low as 3% oxygen. We have as high as overranging on LEL. We've been up into the hundreds in CO and into the mid-teens in H2S. Obviously, this requires some different venting and whatnot. And that's just the initial assessment, i.e. we open it up, we stick a probe in, boom, this is what we get. This obviously makes it a high hazard. So, number one, the client had decided, hey, you know, we're going to open these up, we're going to vent them a little bit, just naturally vent them and allow some of this gases that are inside to dissipate. This is when I said earlier about the, some of this is decomposing, some of this organic material in here. We're getting heat buildup, we're getting methane, we're getting H2S. These types of items are obviously getting picked up. It's creating some carbon monoxide and it is also diluting the oxygen that is in the space. This last one that we went into, pre-entry on the job, we're talking 110 foot silo. The entry hole on the silo is three foot by two foot. It is a top vertical entry. There is no other entry points on this. There is, goes down into a cone, into kind of um, the bottom with a feed valve that goes onto a conveyor. And there is inspection ports on the bottom. Those inspection ports are about six inches by six inches. Some of them are up to a foot by a foot. Big enough that we can access stuff around there, but cannot actually make entry through those. So when we went into this latest one, our CRSP, she lowered the gas monitor down. Up at the top was getting clean respirable air. Even just at 30 feet down, length of tubing that we can put onto our gas monitor, we were down into the 19 range in O2 and up to 27 parts per million in carbon monoxide. Now it's a 110 foot silo. That is only 30 feet down it. Decision was made 
you know, based on that, that this would be a supplied air respirator entry. Obviously, SCBA comes with a couple of problems. One being just entering a three foot by two foot access hole. Number two, it does limit the amount of time you can spend in the space. It cause, causes a lot more air management type processes where we want to make sure we have enough air in order for the person to get out so we don't run out of air, especially when we're starting to talk about atmospheres and that do contain some atmospheric hazard to them. The other thing inside of this, there was a hang-up about 50 foot down, a hang-up of material. So once again, anybody that's dealt with like um, grain or those types of products, especially when they start to decompose, you can get bridging issues where you get, you can stand on those and those can collapse right out. Hence why this is being done on rope access, because we can't just lower someone in, have them stand on that grain and jump up and down. Those bridges will break that person will go from the 50 foot level to the 110 foot level fairly quickly. 70 foot fall in there is going to hurt grain or no grain. So with that, we also had to decide how we were going to rig this. And when you think about it, it's like, yeah, we could go in on traditional rope access, rappel in, ascend out. However, how does that help us for rescue? Also in regards to the work, we have a vac truck that's on site that's putting a vac hose in there because we're getting rid of some of this product because there's no side door to chuck it out of because the actual valve system, the hopper system in the bottom is gummed up. We do get this issue of, hey, we got to get this product out of there. As well with a vac truck, this allows us to use water, pressurized water in order to break that product up, which does a couple of things for us. One of the things we didn't talk into the atmospheric hazards is obviously dust. There's dust hazards in here. Using water now allows us to lower that hazard of dust and move forward. As well with this though, if we go with lowering, we're moving ropes up and down. We need to ventilate this space. We're talking intrinsically safe fans. We're talking, you know, proper GFCI and proper um, plugs on these fans in order to work in a, a dust environment, in an explosive dust environment that has the potential. And that is to try to you know provide some positive pressure in there to suppress both dust down at the bottom, also to make sure that some of those um, atmospheric concerns, we got H2S spikes while we were in there. We have no, got no LEL readings, which was great. We did keep a monitor on the worker while they were down there, but we did get H2S, we did get CO, we did get low O2. Those things, obviously, when we start venting more and more, can help that. We don't want to rely on that respirator. I mean, if that supplied air system fails, these are our friends, our pals in there. We don't want them, you know, going immediately into some sort of respiratory distress. We would rather have the ability to give them some sort of breathable air. That being said, we did stay on respirators the entire time. Um, ascending rope with a respirator on, whether it be an APR, whether it be supplied air, is definitely a challenge as well. So those are some of the concerns moving into this. Um, I'm just going through my notes as we go through. Uh, we thought about leg bags. We thought, hey, you know, we could rappel down uh, safety and main in a leg bag. That way they're outside of that vent. That allows us to maneuver around a little bit. It also allows us then to hook um, the hose when we're stationary, the supplied air hose, onto the line when we're down there. 
pick it up. Alternatively, we lower down and then the guy up top can deal with that supplied air respirator hose. So there's kind of pros and cons for both. We decided on this job, we're gonna lower in. Put the person in a comfort seat, lower them down. They went down with handle and chest ascender and an ASAP so that they could get lowered and they still had the ability to move around inside of the space in order to you know, keep themselves from spinning, keep themselves up against the walls when they're using the pressure washers. But it did allow then that there was no physical way we could get a rope underneath them and into that vac unit. And that was one of the safe work procedures we put into. I don't know what a vac truck will do to rope. I haven't tested it. I get to see lots of horrible videos on what wood chippers do with people on rope. And I just didn't really want to go there. So we made it a way that the vac truck, the vac hose that was in the bottom there, there was no way we could actually get that rope sucked in there. Um, this also allowed people up top to do the rigging and a little bit less worker fatigue, you know, ascending 110 feet, supplied air respirator while you're carrying like a shovel and a pick fork. Cause we did have those uh, tools down there as well. You know, we can bring the pressure washer and the vac up through those one by one inspection ports, one foot by one foot inspection ports. But obviously there is some tools we have to carry on with us. Um, Went in with two sources of light, intrinsically safe. That's that one is none, two is one concept. If we're going to go down there and, you know, that's the only light you have, make sure you have enough. Um, grounding and bonding of the ventilation equipment. That became fairly interesting. Uh, couldn't use ducting. We had to use the vent straight over top. Once we start putting ducting in, obviously we need to ground bond these types of things. We're 110 feet in the air on a concrete silo. That does create some grounding bonding concerns. So we, uh, you know, made sure that the actual fan itself intrinsically safe into the plug, plugged in that way in order to ground it, but did not use any ducting, just fan in a position in order to, you know, plywood frame that we could uh, apply that fan directly down in order to remove some of those concerns with static buildup inside of the ducting. Um, once again, the monitor was on the pa uh, patient. Whew. Monitor was on the uh, rope access technician in the space. Plus, we had another monitor up top. Comms were done via um, uh, radios, intrinsically safe radios. Didn't work 100% just with some of the noise. So one of the things the lads came up with and the lasses was using glow sticks, different colored glow sticks in different directions for raising and lowering of both the vac. Uh, equipment like the pressure washer, vac hoses, and for the actual patient themselves. So that physical view, hey, I got a red, I got a green, I got a blue glow sticks was much more easy for that edge attendant to go down and say, hey, rescue or the uh, rope access technician wants up, they want down based on the glow sticks. The comms then verbal over radio were a backup to the glow stick system, which was great on that. Um, couple of things here, just go over the rigging, and I'm just going to read over some of the notes that our team leads of the day went down. Now, these are long jobs, multiple day duration, uh, probably spent close to 40 hours in there. Um, like I said, there was some hang up at the 50 foot. The actual product was down into probably the 70 foot range. So when you think about that, we're cutting through 30 to 40 feet of product in order to free up that um, valve system. That's a lot of product to put down. And it's it's not 
it's not like you walk in there and it's just flat. There's holes in there. There's places where it's ash, where it, it's, you know, decomposed and heated up. There's places in there where it's rock hard. There's places in there where it runs. There's places in there where you can get down and see into those one-by-one ports. But generally, there's, you know, 30 to 50 feet of product still sitting in there, whether it's hung up, whether it's, you know, solidified, whatever. So, couple of the other things, fall protection plans in BC, we can use a rope access plan if we're running under rope access that has to take into consideration then the fall protection plan. We run a separate fall protection plan anyways, just because there's certain things in there like safe work procedures around using the pressurized water, safe work procedures around using the vac truck, you know, coming up with just these safe work procedures around communications with glow sticks, just not a lot of access places in there in the rope access plan for it. Our fall protection plans have a lot more area for nodes, so utilized those as well. On top of that, on the first day, our team leader was also a CRSP. So that person had the ability to alter the documentation. So once we got in, and and that's the problem with writing this documentation, when the CRSP shows up, first of all, they're, they're taking a flashlight looking down 110 feet. They can drop hose in there 30 feet. That's the best they're getting. You know, they can use a, a wand in the bottom, get a couple feet in on the bottom through the access ports, but that's what they're basing docks on. So once we're in to actually do a recce and can come back and say, hey, these are the now the gas readings we're getting. This is what we're finding. This is the plan's going to have to change because that team lead on day one is also the CRSP. We have the ability to change documents then on the fly. Um, we have a dual system with our documentation where they're all peer reviewed, but that allows the CRSP on site to call the other CRSP and say, hey, look, this is what I'm changing. These are the reasons why. Take a look, and they can have a discussion about that to make sure that they've got some best practices, regulatory compliant, we're not going to hurt anybody moving forward. And a lot of these are obviously have to be kind of not done on the fly, but using experience and whatnot. So it's not on the fly, but it's definitely on the move because it's a moving target when we first walk in there. So hazard assessment entry procedure get altered. We've got the permit there, fall protection plan, rope access plan. You know, some other things, looking at some MSDS just in regards to some of the gases we have just to tweak people on site. We've got a air monitoring log, you know, what kind of bottles we're going through, how long people are staying in the space. That's also on the entry permit, just so that all those things are lining up. Um, We have a rescue plan. We do a field rescue plan that we then take in and put into kind of more of a permanent document. That got done. For us, a lot of times that gets done when we're on site because if we don't exactly know what we're going to get in the bottom there, if we don't know what kind of hazards, entrapment, that sort of stuff, yeah, we've got a general idea. We're going to lower someone. We're going to be able to raise them out. Is that possible once we start? So our rescue plan gets tweaked by our rescue professionals when they get on site as well. And that allows us to have, you know, some of that continuity when we're there and just be able to do stuff on the go and fix those types of concerns that come up as they come up. Um, the rope access system we used initially, artificial high directional was created um, with a vortex, Arizona vortex in this case, above the space. Once again, it's two by three foot entering. The main line was anchored to a large concrete post redirected through the vortex. A pulley was mounted to keep the resulting force in the footprint of the HD. Our DCD that we used for this was an ID. 
uh, inline five, the one was used to raise the entrant with the IB being changed out to a protraction using a grill yawn to do that load transfer, put a protraction in there. We just decided, so this is dusty, dirty environment. These ropes are getting wet from the pressure washer. They're getting dust on them. They're getting dirt on them. The ID already has a very low coefficient in regards to efficiency as a pulley. Why do we want to now add even more grime onto that rope and just, you know, beat the heck out of the guys up top? That's why we used the Grillion, did a load transfer, put the protraction in there, ran it off a protraction. We rig our protractions on uh, that Petzl swivel opens, the ones with the um, Allen key. And so that way there's a carabiner into the swivel opens and then into the protraction. So it lines up really nice, really easy to move in and out of there with the Grillion doing the transfers over and away we go. Uh, safety line in this case was an inverted ASAP anchored to the head of the HD. HD was tried, uh, tied back as well. Just so the, if the AD, HD tipped, we didn't end up losing our safety line also. And that ran very well. I mean, we get a lot of concerns. We've done shock creating jobs where we've locked ASAPs up completely solid just because of concrete. And as it forms in there and then hardens, obviously, I mean, there's any product you put there is going to end up hard with shock creating concrete. Um, that's also was in a confined space, that job. We only do weird stuff in confined spaces on rope access. That's what I mentioned. This particular case, so even with the gunk on the rope, ASAP ran fine for the duration. No problem. Entrant was on uh, comfort seat, as mentioned, so that uh, we were obviously you know, trying to reduce things like hardness-induced pathology. They went in there for about an hour at a time. We had the ability to monitor that. Some guys stayed in longer, but we tried to bring them out, give them a little bit of a break in between. Yes, because uh, an hour on air doing that kind of work on rope, we wanted to make sure we had some good worker rotation going on. We don't want to, you know, drop anybody because of exhaustion. Um, we ran it off Mach 3s. Um, just bringing a compressor up there for clean, respirable air because of the grounding bonding issues. Uh, you know, we could plug it in, but it has to be intrinsically safe. So now we've got to run the compressor, air compressor somewhere remotely and try to run 110 foot of air up to the top, back 110 feet down, which gives us 220 feet. Maximum you're allowed on a lot of these systems is 300 feet from the manifold. So, you know, do we put another manifold in there? Yes, we're only at 220, but if that air compressor's moved any further away, then we start running into regulatory problems and manufacturing issues, excuse me, with the products. So we just decided skip it. We're going to take bottles up top. We're going to use a Mach 3. That way we've got 110 feet. And we know that, you know, we're getting some good air push there. And, you know, there's no real big problems. So that's what we did. Uh, we were running through 11 to 13, 4,500 bottles a day doing this job. So quite a lot of air moving. A lot of peer-to-peer checks. I mean, as you can see, like we've got guys that are CRSP on site, people that have to have rope access background, people that have a rescue background, people that have to have an air background because we're running supplied air respirators, swapping bottles, have to understand how those systems work, how the escape bottles work, you know, mask fit testing, um, all that sort of stuff comes in, writing rescue plans, writing fall protection plans. They have to have some fall protection experience. So there's a lot of things that go. And that's why I say we only do these weird jobs a lot of the times, running over the side of buildings, 
Yes, there's definitely some technical requirements with that. Stuff like this, entering high hazard confined spaces, this is kind of more along the lines of what we end up finding ourselves doing. So yeah, that was good on that. Um, obviously, you run into issues on these jobs. Mac 3 started running into issues with some of the valving in there, had to get that fixed. Uh, ensuring the right size mask for the fit test for the SCBAs, have to you know make sure that works. You know, the intrinsically fan and with the intrinsic safe plugs, with the housing, um, that's all those types of things, right, where you've got to make sure that stuff exists. Uh, the monitors, not just the, you know, 30 feet of hose from the top, you're working in a very dusty environment in the bottom, so the monitor's inside of the Tyvex for the guy in the space, and he, there's a hose hanging out of that with a filter on it. So even small hosing for that. So, you know, going and buying 100 feet of hose at a time, cutting it into lengths needed, putting in the filters that are required on the end, making sure your filters are getting changed on your gas monitors, just because those environments are just super hard on equipment. Um, you know, and this final note here on the, the first day's notes, I'm just taking the first and the last from our CRSP. In his opinion, this job will always be high hazard. There's always the potential for hazardous contaminants to be released and low oxygen to occur. Although every effort was made to keep the atmosphere into the clean, respirable air, including with ventilation, the contaminant source being located in the space and interacted with as part of the task, it is hard to maintain clean, respirable air. And that's coming from our CRSP, and this is where you get those fun things. Yeah, you know, I might be one of the owners of the company, but I can't just throw caution into the wind and say, now nah, you're wrong, we're not doing it that way because it costs too much money, or, you know, that's up to me then to explain that to the client and say, look, this is why we have to do this, you know, uh, because of the following things. And that line right there from our safety professional, and both of them agree with that, that because the contaminant's in the hole and we're playing with the contaminant, I mean, our job is to break down the contaminant and stuff it out of the hole. Like, there's no way to isolate that. We're in it to win it. So from that point, we have to protect ourselves. And with all those precautions, even with that, we got to be on supplied air just in case we get those bumps that we found, you know, monitor spikes. Well, at least our staff are protected. So at the very end, we got some feedback, um, you know, AR, after action report, lessons learned, PIA, post-incident analysis, whatever, you know, you use for that. Um, a couple of them, the glow sticks. A lot of guys had a lot of common, com <laughs> easy for me to say. A lot of guys had a lot of very good things to say about the glow sticks. Being dark in a noisy condition, just sending signals with different colored glow sticks was brilliant. Brought up by a military guy, go figure. He's used to running around with NVGs and IR glow sticks on his head. But uh, same idea, being able to signal in an area where comms is just compromised due to loud noises. So, you know, thinking outside of those regular parameters that we work in and coming up with these types of solutions. Um, we didn't try hardline comms. We took a look at it. It's just we have some connection issues a lot of times. We never use hardline comms without breaking them. And we have some of the better comms that are on the market. I mean, it's, it's just it's hard environments. And that's why this time we went with Let's look at intrinsically safe comms and look at the primary means of being some sort of signaling device. 
Um, the rigging, the horizontal hull with the redirected pulley on fixed ground, pulled up through the pulley at the apex of the tripod, gave good compression forces and more throw space. So taking your mechanical advantage and taking it out of the tripod. Even then, you know, we had overhead hazards, but even if you stretch those things up to 11, 12 feet, what are you doing, right? If we have the ability here to anchor back, get a full stroke, so we're getting long 20, 25 foot pulls on that rope with our mechanical advantage. But obviously we've got to rig the tripod in a certain way, so we're not tipping it over. So just using some of those change of direction pulleys on fixed portions inside of the uh, structure, you know, just to put some compression into that tripod and it stays nice. Um, and that's what he writes here. If the fixed pulley on the ground didn't give a satisfactory result and ensure it's guide back in line. So we, you know, counter the tipping force. But making sure our MA is out is a big thing. Uh, as he writes, used a combination of IDs and protractions for lowers and raise. Worked fine, but given the frequent up and down and easy access of the main backup style rigging, he feels the MPD might have been more ideal or the maestro when it finally comes out. So instead of going ID protraction, ID protraction, ID protraction, vice versa, putting in a device like an MPD or the Maestro when it comes out that has that high efficiency pulley in it so that you can just, we don't have to swap in and out. And this is one of those funny things, right? And comms comes down on these jobs a lot and I'll break into here and talk a bit about comms. We own... 13 MPDs in this company, I find out from a AAR after the fact that they could have used an MPD. It's not like there isn't 13 hanging around here. Um, and that's that everyday comms. You know, the folks in the hole passing it on to the team lead, the team lead passing on to the project manager, the project manager talking to some of the log and ops staff back at the shop to be able to say, hey, the guys would love an MPD. Sure, grab one of the 13 that are available, or even if we've got a few out on jobs, guarantee there's probably at least one sitting in there somewhere. So that's, uh, you know, comms. So not just comms on the site, in the space, but comms back and forth on jobs like this when you're using large volumes of equipment, you know, having to fill up air every night, you're damaging gear because of just the environment you're running in. Those comms back and forth, and they're generally pretty good, but stuff gets missed, stuff gets overlooked. And this is one of those funny ones. You know, you're welcoming into our world a little bit here at Ronan where, hey, it isn't perfect all the time, you know, social media presence being what it is, but you find out after the fact. Um, you know, ASAP lock worked ideally when the worker went static, throw in the lock on it as opposed to not having to manage an edge line with just an ASAP. So, you know, those are where looking at the equipment you have, hey, I got ASAPs, I got ASAP locks, let's throw an ASAP lock in there so that when we go static, we can just kick that over and we don't have to worry about it feeding out because we got 110 plus 12 feet of tripod, so 122 feet of rope on static, you know, you're going to get some pull down on that. So just little tricks and things to think about as you're doing it. Um, if only a regular ASAP is available, he says, thinking about throwing in like a half hitch or something to ensure slack doesn't run through due to the weight of the rope being hanging. Um, workers is suspended with the, without feet firmly against the wall then attaching to a sternal point is recommended in order to start from swinging, 
We were lucky. This was what's known as a windowed silo. So it's got a piece of concrete running down the middle of it. So you take your regular size silo, this is smaller, and then it's cut in half. So we have the ability to force ourselves into corners in order to not spin around when we're using pressure washers or other devices. But he brings up a good thing, you know, looking at different attachment points on your harness in order to stop twisting or spinning inside of those spaces. Um, one of the things here is, you know, just the snag hazards with the vacuum. You know, the worker's fully reliant in this case now on the top side for positioning. You know, and that's where we talk about giving a little bit of slack, even little tails out, you know, clipping in with butterflies, giving yourself tails, but now we've got rope below the worker or adding now um, handle to sender, chest to sender, ASAP down below so the worker can actually maneuver themselves inside of the space. Kind of mentioned that before, but you know, think about that. So the worker's not totally dependent on the top side, moving them around if they have to make minor adjustments inside of the space. Um, once again, pitchfork, high pressure hose, shovels, and vacuum hose was used in the space. So different things to rig. How do you want to get them in there? Well, I'll get a pitchfork. Not a good idea to lower our, pay, or our worker down first and then lower the pitchfork. That's a good way to get three holes in you. Lower the pitchfork down on you know, some accessory cord. Lower yourself down after it so we don't have you know, those possibilities of rigging loads, especially roads, loads that can hurt people above them. Get our people out first, then get the gear out. So little you know, work progression type things to think about. Guys that do rope access are sitting there going, yeah, this is common dog. Other people out there, we've realized that you know, they just hadn't thought about these things. So little things like that. Um, water from the pressure washer was moving material much faster than a pitchfork, helped kept dust down, LEL down, but did create a steam vapor that reduced visibility for the worker and the top team. Humidity levels and temps time of year will have different effects on this. If there is no flow at the bottom, there could be a risk of the main of making the blockage worse and increasing a hazardous atmosphere from decomposition over time. That's just the note I'm reading there. So yeah, when you're using this, why we went to glow sticks, you know, obviously we're getting some humidity, opening up as many of those holes in the bottom, so we're venting in the top, and that's what you look at, and you go, okay, we're on a federal site, we don't actually need to legally vent, what well, we do, because we're WorkSafe BC, federally, they do with atmosphere, there's some different rules around that, but being able to have those holes in the bottom, pushing air down in the top and getting that humidity, that steam buildup that we're creating and pushing it out the bottom and away from our worker is obviously the ideal situation. The vacuum hose from a grounded sucker truck, I'm very effective in the handheld position and hanging while shoveling materials towards it. Um, and once again, you know, making sure that's grounded, everything here being grounded and bonded. And they were able to pull that hose through the bottom through those small openings in the concrete center divider. And, you know, those are just one of those things, just looking for other openings and closings throughout the space. So there you go, 30 minutes on just some rigging and some confined space concerns that are inside of uh, dealing with grain silos. Thanks for listening.